You're listening to Game Like Training Radio, powered by the Golf Science Lab, where we talk about how to train, how to learn more effectively and efficiently. Hey, I'm one of your hosts, Cordy Walker. And I'm your co-host, Matthew Cook. And today we are talking to Professor Richard Bailey. I'm extremely excited to get into this one with you because he talks about a subject that I'm really passionate about. Professor Bailey is a expert advisor for physical education. He's a teacher trainer and a coach educator. So lots of knowledge behind this guy's mind. So Richard talks a lot about uh, the myth of learning styles. So, you know, you've heard before that people think they learn better through looking at images and people learn better by listening to things. But it turns out that it's all a myth, a complete myth. And Mr. Bailey has a lot to say about it. Yeah, we had a good time with this episode. I remember finishing recording this, Matt, and um, really enjoying the conversation when we when we thought about it uh, afterwards. So this is a good one for y'all to tune into and to pay attention to as we kind of talk a lot about what Professor Bailey believes and kind of why and all that stuff. And, and if you're interested in that, uh, Matt, you put together something talking about kind of what you believe and, and what you think people should know about learning as well. It's our, our game-like training kind of five-week course that we have available. Yeah, really passionate about certain things, certain principles that I believe should be involved when we're training golfers and uh, even as golf coaches, there are certain things that we need to know to be able to create an environment for golfers to get better in. And uh, so this course really step-by-step goes through them and uh, we cover a lot of research. We reference a lot of the renowned professors in different areas of uh, their expertise such as cognitive psychology neuroscience motor learning we cover a lot and uh, we simplify it in this course totally and people can check that out at training.golfsciencelab.com you can find the game like training course there you'll definitely enjoy that but let's get into this conversation with professor richard bailey first you're definitely going to enjoy this as we get into a lot of uh, good topics and we just kind of don't go down the traditional path uh, and just agree with everything and we actually have a good conversation for once. <laughs> sure. Excited to be here with Professor Richard Bailey. Uh, he is a really interesting background as kind of being a, a researcher, a scientist, a psychologist, looking at this in a really different light, uh, also involved a lot with coaching and the kind of development of helping coaches be better coaches. So we're having a, a conversation here uh, around that. How's it going, Richard? Yeah, it's it's, it's fine. You, you join me on a cold, damp uh, afternoon in Berlin. So, uh, <laughs> it's good to speak to you just to try and raise the blood pressure. Thanks for coming to join us, Richard. I, I appreciate your time. <laughs> no, it's a pleasure. We're going to start this conversation maybe talking about evidence-based coaching. And um, I don't know that in golf we've used that term a lot. So could you kind of help us explain that uh, a little bit? Sure. Um, I think most sports don't use the phrase very much or even the idea. Um, most coaching is based on a, a, a mixture of tradition, handed down recipes and practices and, and perceived common sense. All I mean by evidence-based coaching is the principle that what we do in coaching has some reason, some justification based in, um, in research or science or um, experience. For example, uh, 
the way that most people uh, coach in golf might be because uh, that was the way their golf coach taught them and that they're simply passing it along. Well, in fact, science, science of cognitive psychology, the sciences from anthropology and uh, social psychology have got a lot to tell coaches about uh, some of the ways that might be alternative ways of approaching, approaching coaching. I would also add briefly uh, the mistake that a lot of people make when they think about science is they think it's something to do with certainty. You know, science, like everything else, develops, and particularly in coaching, which is very under-researched. You know, so when I say evidence coaching, evidence-based coaching, I don't mean latching on to certainty. I simply just mean uh, offering some evidence-based reason for what you're doing. Gotcha. So evidence... I guess, what does evidence mean? Does that mean research? Does that mean anecdotally over years of experience? What, what, what does that mean? Well, all sciences um, is a combination of um, guesses and testing. Uh, so that's true in physics or in chemistry or in sports coaching. People come up with ideas and then come up with the best tests for them to see if they work. In coaching, what we normally do is we come up with lots of ideas, but we don't test them properly. So um, anecdotal evidence, as some people said, is really a contradiction in terms. Anecdotal evidence is things that you personally have experienced or found out for yourself. The problem with anecdotal evidence is, or anecdotal uh, learning, is that um, humans are very, very poor scientists by themselves. Science is a social activity, and one of the things that science offers is other people to criticize you, other people to ask the awkward questions, other people to go away and try and do the same test that you've done to see if it still works. One of the mottos that I use probably too often is um, the plural of anecdote is not evidence. Lots of people having lots of anecdotes and personal experience uh, really tells us very little. Um, there may be something there that's very valuable, but unless we test it, unless we come up with some method for testing, we can't say we have evidence. So all I mean with by evidence is simply ideas that have survived testing so far. There is a, something else, a big, bold idea that we learn in different ways. Some of us are visual thinkers, some of us are auditory thinkers, some of us are kinesthetic thinkers or learners. In other words, some of us learn best visually, some of us learn best by sounds, and some of us learn best by, by doing it. That's a big, bold, exciting idea. So what a scientist will do is construct a test to see if there really are those ways of learning. And actually, what the scientists have learned is it's not true. There are no learning styles that don't exist. But the problem is that the individual coach might be completely convinced based upon their personal experience. They might be convinced because human beings are outstanding at looking for evidence in support of their little ideas. All of us are. We're also outstanding at ignoring ev negative evidence. We're also outstanding at sticking our heels in and refusing to change our minds. That's what we call cognitive biases. Humans have evolved to survive on the plains of the Serengeti. Uh, that's not a very good mindset for science. So what science offers is a community of other people to say, well, you know, what do you mean by that? How can we test it? Does it work? If it doesn't work, are you going to give it up? Um, what we found in practice, of course, is that many people won't give up uh, uh, new ideas or learning styles. 
because of their, their anecdotal prejudices. But science is very clear. It doesn't survive the test. Dead. I love that you uh, that you uh, mentioned that about the learning styles because I, I had a conversation not too long ago about how you know it, it's not it's not necessarily true that this person is a visual learner, this person is this type of learner. It's almost like a myth. And uh, I, I read a great book uh, called I think it's called In the Mind's Eye or The Mind's Eye, and it shared some really good evidence about you know what the research was saying about these so-called learning styles. And from what I have been, what as I was growing up and, and becoming more mature in coaching and, and going into the coaching world, I started to change my beliefs on, you know what, this it's not that this person uh, is a visual learner. Uh, the, there's ample ways to, uh, to to help this student in front of me. So that leads me to the question of how do people best learn in sport? Because I know that's another area of interest yeah. for you. Yeah, well, I'll just offer a quick uh, corrective to your comment. You said it's almost a myth. No, it, it is a myth. It's literally a myth. <laughs> yes. um, you know, there is no evidence that these things exist. They're dangerous. They get in the way of learning. It's a really poisonous idea that we should have out. I've just finished a project, uh, a big survey with uh, just under a 1,000 coaches, and I found that 60 wow. to 70% of coaches have been taught learning styles on their national governing body qualification. That is disgusting. That, I mean, actually, I think it's fraud. I think if you're paying money to become a coach and they teach you, uh, uh, excuse my language, but it's the only word, bullshit, uh, you should be <laughs> demanding your money back because there are no such things as learning styles. They don't exist. It's been repeatedly falsified. Um, and I think it's interesting why people won't let them go. Um, but anyway, let me move on to your, your more important question. No, that, that, that was awesome, that part there. <laughs> <laughs> that was awesome. Yeah. It, it frustrates me because it's actually, it hurts people. You know, um, If people like to think they're visual learners, the last thing you should do is actually tell them they're a visual learner. That's just limiting their possibilities. Yeah. Um, I, from from now on, Richard, I, as, I am going to stay very true to my belief. That <laughs> it is not almost a myth. It is a complete myth. No, it's it's a complete, complete garbage. Myth. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, what I sometimes say is, you know, uh, if you can find one single study that finds evidence in favour of learning styles, a proper, serious study, not something made up by the companies to uh, sell questionnaires, you can have my house. <laughs> awesome. So anyway, how do people learn? Well, there's lots of different ways. It depends how you look at it. You know, you might know the old story of the elephant and, and four blind people. You know, one blind person thinks the elephant is a long, thin tube. Holding the uh, um, the nose and one something they're big big fat stout um, pillars because they're holding the legs and so on and that's a bit like learning you know if you ask a neuroscientist learning is nothing more than the connection of, my, of neurons in the brain or the strengthening of neurons in the brain um, I don't think that's particularly useful for us as coaching uh, in coaching but it's worth bearing in mind that learning does take place in the brain uh, what does it mean how does learning take place human level, I think the best way to understand it is um, that we are all adapting problem-solving creatures. We're all trying to make our way through the world. That is the way we've all evolved. Um, learning is the mechanism of adapting to your environment. Uh, so the uh, context, which is, for me, my favorite word in learning, or I think the most important word, the context in which you're operating 
determines what you need to do to learn. You know, if you're driving a car, context of a fast-moving vehicle surrounded by other vehicles determines what you need to learn. And um, this is the mistake golf coaches make. They think that context of golf is hitting, hitting a perfect swing. But that mm-hmm. isn't what golf is. Golf is sticking a ball in a hole. And uh, <laughs> if that's right. true, then you've got, a, you've got a coach from the perspective of sticking a ball in a hole. Uh, mm-hmm. So learning is adapting to a golf course, adapting to all the different challenges as you make your way around a golf course. And for beginners, it's adapting to that particular challenge associated with hitting you know, that long stick against the ball so that it goes towards the hole. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've talked about in the past, like in ecological dynamics, frameworks, stuff like that, just the premise being like we adapt to the environment that, we, that we're in. Is, is that kind of along the lines of, of where you're going? Yeah. There's a lot of theories that are, that are very similar to my own theory about this. Uh, I tend to present it my way because I think it's simpler, but, but it actually includes all of the context of um, ecological psychology, which is what you're, you're talking about there, the idea that we're essentially we're adapting to the ecology of our bodies and minds. Situated cognition is another tradition of research. You know, we are situated in a particular um, social and physical space, and we have to adapt to it. Um, and there's even methods like teaching games for understanding uh, or game sense, which also talk about um, uh, this approach. I like problem solving and adapting. Simple. You know, how do I solve this problem? You've got to think about what the problem is. You know, the problem of golf is almost always sticking the ball towards or in the hole. That, that's it. If you're playing soccer or football, the problem of football is sticking the ball in or towards that target whilst your opposition tries to do, do that. Learning is picking up the cognitive and the behavioural skills to let you do it effectively. So, yeah, it's all, it's all about adapting to the environment and adapting to the environment effectively. So, to me, that has enormous application to coaching. For example, a driving range looks nothing like golf course, <laughs> which yep. has raised serious concerns for us if we're introduced, as I was, to golf by... Uh, spending the your next few weeks on a driving range. You're not learning golf. You're, learn, you're learning something else. might be quite nice, but you're not learning golf. It would be like learning to swim on a, on a table without water. <laughs> Great analogy. So th- that being said, you know, understanding now, uh, and certainly the listeners should be understanding how, how we learn on a human level, and that the game is, you know, like you've just mentioned, and, and I've, I've mentioned in the past that you get this little white ball and you got to put it in a hole that's X amount of yards away. And usually there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of crap in the way, like bunkers and trees yeah. and all of that good stuff. So looking at all of that context, how um, can we uh, make the coaches and the golfers who are listening able to do that better? Like what, what can they go and what would you prescribe to them to go and do to get better at putting that little white ball in the hole? Well, the first thing I would do is I would say that they have to be very clear about the difference between learning and practice. See, practice is to do things, learning has to do things better, right? So mm-hmm. that could be on, well, it would be on the driving range. You know, I think um, all of the, the uh, pros on, on the uh, various tours spend a lot of time on the driving range. That's because they've already learned the basic or the mechanisms of, of, the, uh, of the game. If you're a coach presented with a complete beginner, let's say, 
You can't practice something you haven't learned. That's, that's the first principle. You don't get somebody mm-hmm. practicing something they haven't learned. Learning involves the ability to reproduce skills and attitudes, but also um, to understand it. So you have to differentiate those two. What am I trying to do here? So I would say question one, what mm-hmm. am I trying to do here? Question two to ask yourself is, to what problem is this a solution? If I'm trying to teach somebody something, why am I teaching them that? So what is the problem that requires me to teach them this? If you've got a complete beginner, and I tend to talk about beginners just because it's nice and simple, if I have yeah. a complete beginner, they have no problems yet, apart from mm-hmm. those that I give them through my coaching. They have no problems. So I have to create some problems for them to seek the solutions because the swing and the chip and the putt are solutions. They're tools, techniques. So they have to have a real problem. Therefore, you've got to get them sticking, trying to get balls in holes, I would say. My preferred method, which is, I know a number of coaches do this, is day one, go on the um, putting green and start putting balls in holes and progressively move further away from the hole, introduce obstacles, introduce an element of stress, because that's an important part of the game, but continue mm-hmm. to stick the ball in the hole. Once you're off the um, uh, green, then you can start introducing other techniques. All of these are solutions to genuine problems, how to get the ball in the hole. Uh, so that, I think that's the, uh, the second, second idea. First yeah. would be learning and practicing things. The second is give people solutions, genuine problems. Yeah. And hitting the ball in the hole is a genuine, uh, a genuine problem. Giving people techniques before they understand the game of golf, as in before they've actually had a go at it themselves, is giving somebody an answer to a question they've never asked. They've got to, they are, they're active learners, you know, they should be, they are actively exploring that environment, trying to adapt to it. Unless they're in the environment and they're trying to explore it, none of the techniques make sense. Yeah. What a fantastic way to look at it. A very simple way to look at it, too. But it also does encompass all the theory around, as we've heard, you know, the ecological approach and so on. But it's just, it's, it's, you know, we've got to make, make sense for coaches. And coaches, their job is helping students. So uh, I would say, yeah, you know, don't, don't give somebody a solution to a problem they don't have. So the example I sometimes give coaches is I tell them not to pick their nose. And they'll say, I wasn't picking my nose. No, no, I know. It's just a piece of general advice. That's the behavior of a madman. Just keep not <laughs> randomly giving advice to people. But we do it in golf coaching all the time. Just <laughs> randomly telling people stuff. Yeah. Great real problems. Real problems that require them to adapt to their ecology, to their environment, to their context. And then all your lovely techniques make sense. So question for you. Uh, I, I think a lot of instructors wonder this. I think they hear this and think this is awesome, right? People need to, you know, find solutions when they're given a problem, blah, blah, blah. But my role as a coach is to get someone there faster, right? I can give them a technique that will get them there faster. Um, and, and I don't really have an opinion on this. I sound like I'm biased one way, but I, I'm just wondering, what do you think the role of a coach is when you present someone with a problem? Is it to say, hey, hey, here's technique X, which might work for you? Or do you let someone just struggle until they find their own solution? That's, that's a great question. Um, and probably rather like yourself, I don't, I don't know with any certainty because um, we, we need to do the research but uh, I definitely don't think that we should just let people struggle and find their own way. I think that's a myth that's left over from progressive education. There's a big movement in coaching at the moment towards 
play and what's sometimes called deliberate play uh, and exploration. And all of that's fantastic. But there is no evidence to suggest that play without some type of feedback or some type of uh, uh, instruction uh, is a very effective way of learning. You know, so at the moment, a lot of coaches are against uh, telling their students things. They want them to figure it out themselves. Uh, the problem with that is that the evidence is very clear. This is one area where the evidence is very clear. Correct instruction is extremely effective at teaching relatively simple skills. So my own view is often misunderstood as saying never ever teach anyone because it's all about problem solving and adaptation. I don't think you don't teach them. I just think you teach them when they have a problem. So I would say, um, you know, they need to get in there. They need to be hitting balls. They need to be experimenting. They need to feel how their body feels whilst they're playing the game. And then fairly soon, they will start to have problems. For example, they'll notice that they're hitting the ball in a certain way of target, or they notice that they're, they're not um, hitting the ball cleanly, or they notice lots of these really key factors that traditional coaches would tell you. But if the students come up and say, why am I doing this? Then you can just shift to, well, try this. See how, see how this works. Try it this way. Move your body this way. See what you think. See, there's no incompatibility between traditional direct instruction and problem-solving learning. So it's purely a matter of making it a genuine experience. Direct mm. instruction is probably the quickest way of, well, it's, it, without a doubt, it's the quickest way of learning skills. Um, if you're trying to, to play the game and you want to learn you know, how to recover from certain problems and you know, keep hitting the ball off to the left, uh, uh, trial and error and guided discovery and all of these progressive methods are really good. But if you want to learn how to hit a ball from here to here, from A to B, why don't you just tell them? Why make them wait? Why make them suffer? But you don't just tell them before they need to know. In mm. other words, it's, I think if you were to summarize the role of the coach, for me, it would be the education of, of your learner's attention, your educating attention. You know, think about this. Think about your shoulders. Think about your body. By, by helping them focus upon what they're doing, you can, you can be as traditional as you like in your pedagogy because you're reacting to something that comes from the active learner. And I think you could do that from day one. Just not at the beginning of the session. Uh, I'll give you an example from another sport. Um, one of my mentors, Jeff Gleason, the UK national coach of judo. They come from a martial arts background. And he would say to somebody, judo is a sport in which you try and throw your partner on the floor and hold them down. Get with the partner, try and throw them on the floor and hold them down. So, in other words, there's no technical instruction at all. It simply created the context, created the ecology. So everyone scraps around, almost guaranteed somebody will wrap their arm, once they're on the floor, wrap their arm around somebody else's head, try and hold them down. That's called a scarf hold. You know? So they've discovered the technique by themselves. This is actually a fairly simple technique. But there are better and worse ways of doing a scarf hold. That's where the coach would say, try putting your head down a little bit. See what that does. Try rotating your body a little bit. See what that does. So you're teaching them, you're coaching them, but everything is from the perspective of the learner and their needs. Um, the mistake we often make in coaching is we, we tell people to do techniques um, without any reference to the fact that the learner has a body and that body might not respond the same way as everyone else's. Whereas if, you're, if you nudge them with your instructions, you know, do this, see what that does, 
um, what you're doing is you're instructing them at the same time as encouraging them to uh, to figure it out for their own body. Makes a lot of sense. Makes a lot of sense. Man, this has been a really good conversation. I don't know about you, Matt, but this was, uh, this was this really good. This is killer. This is awesome. We'll have to have you back on in, in the future, Richard. But if people want to want to learn more about you, maybe some of your work, read some stuff that you've done, what's the best way for people to, to connect with that? I would say uh, a few things. I have a group on Facebook called Coaching Science. And that's a community of coaches sharing ideas, sharing information. And a lot of my publications are available from that. Um, mm-hmm. If there's, if you want to get in touch with me, you can, you can connect with me through that group as well. And if there's any articles or any information that I can share with anyone, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very happy to, uh, to do so. If you are more uh, academic in inclination, there are two sites, Searchgate and academia.edu, one in Germany, literally just down the road from where I am now, and one in America that gives free access to academics' papers. And all of my papers are freely available on both of those sites. Um, or if you go on Amazon, I've edited or written 20 books, and uh, you, know, you, can, uh, you, can pay, uh, you can buy my books and, uh, and give me the 20 pence or whatever it is that I earn from selling them. <laughs> um, but yeah, but you know, join co- coaching science or write to me. I don't know if you you have my email address. I'm very happy to answer any questions from coaching. I love working with coaching. But the best best approach is uh, join Coaching Science or go to ResearchGate or academia.edu. Both of those have email functions as well. And and we can have a conversation. Awesome. That's perfect. Thanks so much, man. I appreciate you taking the time to to come on and share. This This has been great. 